Um, today's a fun day. Uh, as I said, I am not preaching today. Many of you know Jason Webster. If you don't know Jason Webster, this is Jason Webster. Welcome, Jason Webster. Thank you. Uh, Jason is our pastoral resident, which I don't really, really, I don't really know what that means, other than we have him do a bunch of stuff here at the church. And so he's with us for a year, and so I've asked him today to be able to, to preach uh, this morning. So this is going to be a fun opportunity for him, and uh, he has spent some uh, sleepless nights in preparation for this. And I'm not trying to put the pressure on him, but there's pressure on him today. So I'm uh, excited, excited to, uh, to have him here. I'm going to just ask you that you join me in prayer for him, and uh, then we'll let him jump in. God, just thank you for, uh, Jason, thank you for, uh, God, just what you've done in his heart and in his life and his call to ministry. And uh, Lord, just for bringing him to Restoration Church, we're blessed and thankful for uh, the opportunity to have Jason and, and uh, serving here with us and thankful for his heart. And just pray that you would just anoint him today. Pray as he opens up your word, uh, that God should help him understand that part of this process is for him to step out of the limelight and just to allow you to speak today. So God, we pray that you would do that today. And uh, just pray that you would anoint um, his words as he teaches us your word today, Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if this is working. Yep. Is it working? Okay, I can't hear it, so. All right, well, as he said, my name is Jason Webster. I'm the pastoral resident. I used to be the intern last year. There's some kind of difference. I'm not exactly sure what the difference is, but I guess I'm better this year. Uh, so, so pretty much I have two jobs as the pastoral resident. One of them is kind of over the leadership, uh, restructuring everything, um, um, in, in the volunteer staff, and the second part is trying to convince Kevin to get a cat. So I'm really working hard on that second part. It hasn't, hasn't really come out uh, with much yet, but hopefully by the end of my pastoral residency, he'll have at least one. So let's pray again, and we will get started. Father, we just thank you for this day that uh, we could come and open your word. Uh, we just pray that You'd be guiding me, and uh, let me remember all the things that I have studied, and I pray for each person here that you would be laying something on their heart. Father, that we would learn as a community and as a congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. The pressure was on. See, this is what she had been working for her entire life. She could hear the crowd screaming her name, and under that, she could hear her teammates screaming for her. So what did she do? She closed her eyes. She canceled out all the noises. And with a deep, slow breath, she opened her eyes. And she was ready. See, the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. Once every four years, we get to care about diving and swimming and ping pong and badminton. See, I, I love the Olympics. I love it because it's, it's this event where we get to compete on a world level. This is where champions are made. We get to see who can take the pressure of the world watching. And like most of you, I like gymnastics. I'm not exactly sure why the guys' gymnastics doesn't get as much attention as the girls', but that's just how it works. And so I, I love watching the gymnastics. And, 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 and the women's gymnastics team was supposed to do really, really good this year in the team event. And they did. If you watched it, they got gold. But did this happen because of one person? 
Or did it happen because everyone on the team was good at everything? No. It happened because each member of the team had a specific specialty. And, and they worked hard on what they were supposed to do to make a well-rounded team that got them gold. You see, the church is built a lot like a gymnastics team. See, we as a church, the, the, the body of Christ, we are like a team. We have a goal. We have a purpose. And our purpose is to do the mission of Christ that Christ called us to do, which we here at Restoration Church say as to know Christ and to make Christ known. That's our mission statement. Uh, hopefully you guys know that. Pretty, pretty easy compared to some other ones I've seen. So, um, To know Christ and to make Christ known. And so this is the, the, the mission that we are supposed to complete. And, and we have to act in a way to complete this mission. So that kind of raises the question, well, then, then how are we supposed to act in order to complete the mission? No one states this more vividly than the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you do not have a Bible, just raise your hand. One of the ushers in the back will get you a Bible. If you do not own a Bible, this is our gift to you. So uh, feel free to take it home with you. Uh, A little background on Corinthians as you guys are turning there. Uh, Corinth was a messed up place. They were a messed up church. Kind of like everywhere, really. But we see in in, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, we see that... In the church, there's a, a man that Paul addresses who's, who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. And, and, and the church isn't really doing anything about it. And Paul's like, well, why aren't you guys doing anything about this? I mean, even the pagans think this is disgusting. Even the pagans wouldn't allow this. And, and this is happening in the church? And so most of Corinthians is him correcting what they're not doing right. And that's the same thing that's happening here in chapter 12 is, is, is he's correcting their view of what they're doing and how they're supposed to act. So, so we're going to start in verse 12, but just a little recap of verse 1 through 11 since we don't have enough time to go through it today. He's talking about spiritual gifts. So he lifts off some of the gifts uh, that, that the Spirit gives. Uh, so, and, and just a little background on, on what are spiritual gifts. Uh, each, each member of the body of Christ gets spiritual gifts. Uh, and so, so now there's this kind of thing, okay, well, well, what's a gift and what's a talent? And, and they can be defined as follows. See, a, a gift is something given by God for the sole purpose of building up the body. For the sole purpose of building up the body versus a talent, which are various skills that all humans have. So various skill set that humans have. So let's, let's look at a couple of examples. Uh, youth ministry. Youth ministry. So youth ministry in itself is not a spiritual gift. Sorry, Zach. Pretending uh, you're a kid when you're 30 is not a spiritual gift. But when you're in youth ministry, you can use the gifts. So say teaching and evangelism. Those are gifts of the Spirit that are meant to build up the body. So he can use a teaching ability to, to interact with the students in a way that he uses a talent plus a spiritual gift. Also, another example of guitar or singing. Guitar in itself is not a spiritual gift, but it's a talent. 
but it can be used uh, with leadership, say, as, as, as a spiritual gift of leadership to be a, a worship leader and play guitar and sing and, and lead people into the presence of God through song and music. So, so there's a difference between talents and gifts. Sometimes God works them together, and, and sometimes he just has you with, with something that you have no talent in, and, and you get saved, and you get in ministry, and then you have this gift, and you're not exactly sure how to use it yet, but he develops it for you. So that's kind of just a little tidbit on talents uh, versus gifts. Uh, so with that, we will look at uh, where we are now going. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. So the first point, the the first way that we are supposed to act, that the members of the body are supposed to act like one body, a unified body. And so so Paul uses this image of of comparing the body of Christ to the human body. And so, so we are all members there. We all know there's many members of the bodies. We've got our you know, hands, our fingers, our toes, our feet, our legs, um, our eyes, our nose. These are all just the different members of the body. They all have different functions. Uh, but, but we don't doubt that you know, our, our fingers and our hands are part of the same body. I mean, they, they're physically connected. They, they function together. But what about the church? I mean, are we, are we really the same body? I mean, I, I look out here and I see lots of different people with different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different uh, skills. And, and, and are we really a body? I mean, if we went to the Yakima Fairgrounds at the fair and we're standing in a crowd, would other people be able to tell who's a part of the body and who's not? Are we really part of the body? And so how do we know? And the next words are our are, are cue into understanding this in verse 13. Uh, for, one, for in one spirit, we were all baptized in one body. And, and, and that's it. One spirit baptized into one body. I mean, this, this is what gives us unity. We were all baptized into one spirit. This gives us a unified goal as the church to know Christ to make Christ known. That's what unifies us. It is through the unity of the Spirit. And in that definition, uh, it, it really only applies to those who are truly saved because if you're not truly saved, you're not going to have been baptized in the Spirit. So, so what is um, Spirit baptism? See, spirit baptism is a one-time event at salvation. Upon when you put your faith in Christ, the Spirit comes inside of you, cleanses you out, and you become the temple of God, the dwelling place of God, as seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> See, this is, what, this, is, uh, uh, this is what unifies us. It's not because you have a tattoo of a Bible verse or you, or you have that Jesus fish on your car. That's not what makes you a part of the body. It's, it's through the unity of the Spirit that we have all been baptized under. And then it says, Jew or Greek, slave or free. 
And, and what he's saying here is diversity does not disqualify you. Just because you're different than someone else, just because you have, have a, a difference than someone else, doesn't disqualify you from being a part of the body because that's not really what makes you a part of the body. I mean, in our case, it doesn't matter if you're African-American or Caucasian. If, if you're Hispanic or if you're Korean, if your social status is different, if you're rich or if you're poor, these do not make you a part of the body, but it's only through baptism that unifies us. And then he goes on to say that we all drink of the same spirit. And I, I really like this line because this is what really unifies it for me and throws out that just equality in all. And so it doesn't matter if you've been saved for 50 years and you've memorized Romans in Greek or, or if you just got saved yesterday and, and, and he, that guy doesn't, he's not a part of a church body yet and he doesn't really know anything about Christ it doesn't matter. We all drink from the same spirit. If you're coming from over here or over here, you come to the same spirit and drink. And that's the image of in John chapter 4, when he's talking about living waters. That It's talking about the spirit indwelling inside us. And it doesn't matter who you are in the body of Christ. We're all the same, and that the same spirit dwells inside us. And I think that's great. I think that is awesome. And so, uh, here it is. This, the Spirit has formed a spiritual, organic unity of the many diverse members of the body of Christ. The Spirit has formed a spiritual, organic unity in the many diverse members of the body of Christ. And so, 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 so I'm saying there's this unity we have, and I think that we see it most often in ministry. I mean, it comes out most vividly when we're in ministry. I, in the past decade, I've gone on multiple short-term mission trips. Um, 2011, I went to Honduras as a high schooler. In 2013, I went to Mexico as a leader for high schoolers. And it's great because when they're signing up, the sign-ups are awesome because it's just random kids. You know, there's the, the, the kids that are, are involved in the church, that have been there their whole life. There's the kids that don't even go to that church regularly, but their mom is making them go. And, and they're coming from different schools, and they're not kids that would normally talk to each other on a normal basis. But, and then they go down on this trip. And there's this unity as they're striving hand in hand towards the same goal that brings them together. That the Spirit causes a unity in our service. And then they come out with best friends. They come out with this unity that wouldn't have been there if they didn't strive hand in hand next to each other. I mean, this is my memory of seeing how the Spirit does this. Hopefully you have a memory. For those of us who have been in the church a long time that, that, that can remember, oh yeah, I remember when the Spirit, when we were working towards this and, and there was just this unity binding us. And for those of you uh, who are newer to the church or, or haven't really seen that, I hope you can see that here at Restoration, that, that we strive uh, with one goal and, and we have unity in doing that. So now you may ask with me, uh, why does it sometimes feel like there's, there's a disconnect in our unity? I mean, we've been meeting together here for three years and, and sometimes there's this kind of this doesn't quite feel unified. Well, sometimes we have to ask this question. What can I do 
have further unity with those serving around me? What can I do to have further unity with those serving around me? And it kind of goes back to our summer slogan, it's not about me. It's not about me. I mean, sometimes we get wrapped up in what we're doing, and, and, but, but it's not about me. And we have to continually go back to this mindset of what can I do to further unity with those around me. And when I say those around me, I don't mean just if you're in nursery, those working with you in nursery. Or if you're in the front, those working with you in the front. Because as a church, we are unified. And so those working in the front are working with those in the nursery. So, so, so I'm not just talking about these little groups. I'm talking about the church as a whole. How can we unify each other. So, so how do we do this? Maybe it's as simple as sitting somewhere else on a Sunday. I know we're creatures of habit and we like to sit in the exact same row in the exact same seat and we get upset if someone else takes it sometimes. But, but maybe we need to mix it up a little bit. Sitting next to someone you don't really know. Strike a conversation uh, with, with, with someone you haven't talked to in a while or, or ever at all. Maybe this is getting involved with a community group this fall. If you've never been a part of one or if you have, continue in it. Maybe if you're not yet serving here at Restoration, your next step for creating unity is to serve somewhere. Get involved with other people striving towards the same goal. The Spirit is what binds the body of Christ. And everything else that flows out of the rest of this message is caught up in how unified we are. So as we move on, uh, moving back to another Olympics uh, kind of transitional illustration um, I was watching the Olympics uh, was during the first week the, the, the prelims of, of the women's gymnastics um, and the announcer I remember saying uh, he, the announcer said now it's Gabby Douglas's turn on uneven bars this is why she made the team this is her only event and she excels so well at it and it just kind of got me thinking you know she, she was there for one purpose she was there for uneven bars. She wasn't on the team for vault or balance beam. She was there for one purpose. And everyone on that team had a specific purpose. And, and, and they focused on that purpose. When she was doing uneven bars, she wasn't worried about practicing for the balance beam. She wasn't doing that part. And so each person was there for one or two things. And also, we in the church... We are called not to serve and excel in all areas, but in our own specific area. Let's look at the text again, verses 14 through 17. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. For if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? 
And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Let's stop there for a second. So he starts with the argument. Well, well, well be, because I don't do this. Well, because I don't do what he does. And that's what it boils down to, is, is the argument of, well, because I don't have the gift that she does, I'm not as important. Or I can't do what he can do, so I can't really serve God very well. Well, first of all, let me just tell you, congregation, that is not true. That is not true that you have to be like someone else to serve God well. And, and I like how he says that if they say this, then it's not true. Because he knows people talk like this. He knows that people say things about themselves and, and they get their worth from what they do. Because he, he was in the business. He made tents. And, and he heard it all around him with the other businesses. Of, oh yeah, well all right, we do this and, and we make this. And they were getting their worth from what they did. And even worse, he heard it in the church. He heard in the church people getting their worth from how they served, from the gifts that they had. I mean, I've, I've had times in my life where I was like, oh, if only I could be serving here, then I would really be serving God well. If only I could be doing what he was doing, then I could be serving so much better. But, but that's not what God wants us to do. And Paul establishes that again in verse 17 as I I'll read it again. If the whole body were an eye, where the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear? I mean, think about the image that he's putting here. I mean, imagine walking into a church for the first time. You walk in the back doors, and you look down into the congregation where everyone's sitting, and everyone is a six-foot-tall ear. I mean, first of all, that would freak you out, and it'd be probably the most miserable message you've ever heard. But, but that's what Paul doesn't want us to be. We're not supposed to all look alike. We're not supposed to all do the same thing. So let's pick it up in verse 18. 18 through 20. Uh, focusing on 18 now. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So, focusing on, on verse 18, this is our second point of how we are supposed to act. The members of the body are supposed to act in, a fun, in the function God has chosen. And, and we're, we're supposed to function as God has chosen for us, not wanting to do someone else's function. And I like how he starts with essentially saying, but God. But God, I mean, this is one of the most powerful statements in Scripture, as, as you see it throughout the New Testament. And this is the way we think of it, but God. See, this is the way we see ourselves, but God. And, and so he's, he's defuting the argument of, well, I need to be something else. No, 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 but God. But God chose the place that you are supposed to serve. He gave you the gift he wants you to have. This isn't, uh, and, 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 and we see that it ties up uh, with, with verse 11, which we didn't actually get a cover, but verse 11 says, all these are empowered, all these gifts, the gifts um, 
that the, the Spirit gives are all empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So again, just the idea of God's sovereign choice for your gifting, for how you will function in the church. And, and it's not some sort of haphazard way of choosing. I mean, he doesn't spin a wheel and, and see what you get. It's not some kind of leftover creation from the lunch lady that this is what we got. Back to where we were. So this is why we cannot uh, put our worth in what we do. Because first of all, we don't choose it. Second of all, because God chose it. That this is why uh, our our identity, our our worth, has to be in Christ alone. We can't do it from what we do. And this is kind of how Paul put it. uh, if, If you're a foot, be a foot, not a hand. I mean, what the foot was saying earlier is, ah, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. And and essentially what he's saying is, he sees what the hand does, and he measures his worth by the standard of the hand. He says, well, well, I can't pick up a fork like a hand can, and, and, and I can't grab tools like a hand can. But that's not how you measure the worth of a foot. You don't measure how good your ears are by how well they can see small things far away. They're not measured by the same standard. And so he's pretty much saying we can't do that either. As as part of the body, you can't measure how good your gift is or or how good your service is by measuring it against someone else. The key here, uh, we have a slide for this. The key here is diversity is not inferiority. Diversity is not inferiority. Some of you know I uh, play a couple instruments as well. I I started on the bass guitar. Uh, For those of you who know, my dad is an electric guitar player. He's played guitar most his life. And so I wanted to play guitar too. And and we were flipping through a magazine and and looking for a guitar, maybe for Christmas or something. And then somehow it came on the bass guitar. So I was like, Dad, what is this? He's like, oh, that's a bass guitar. I was like, is it easier? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I want one of those. So, so that's how I started playing bass guitar. Uh, and, but when you think about it, like how many of your favorite bands, maybe your favorite bands, but how many bands do you know who the bass guitar player is? I mean, you might know the lead singer. You might know uh, the electric guitar player who's ripping all the solos, but no one really knows the bass player. And I mean, I've, I've gone, um, I've done some, some uh, gigs with, with certain different bands around uh, Eastern Washington, going to different fairgrounds, uh, and and I've been playing bass, and, and, you know, no one really cares about what I'm doing. 
Um, <clears throat> but all this to say that without the bass guitar, the band would fall apart. Not just because I play bass. <laughs> there we go. And, and drums, Adam, and drums. Um, but, and, and an illustration that I've heard before is, is that when you're making a pizza, the bass, and the, guitar, the bass and the drums are like the crust. They hold it all together. And the electric guitar doing its solos and, and the singing and everything, that's like the toppings. And so if you don't have the crust of the pizza, do you really have a pizza? Or do you just have melted cheese and pepperoni? And so, so all that to say, diversity is not inferiority. Just because you have a different part doesn't mean that it's less important. Does this thing work now? All right, I'm going to switch back because I don't like holding a mic. All right. Is it working? Good. All right, moving right along. Uh, we're going to go straight into verse 21. So if you'll read with me, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We'll stop there. So the, the, the first point was uh, that as, as members of the body, we are supposed to act as a unified Secondly, we are supposed to act in the function that God has chosen. And now, thirdly, we're supposed to act the same care and honor for the other members. He starts by saying, you can't say, I don't need you. You can't say that I don't need you. And then even more astoundingly, he says, actually, those parts that we think we don't need, they're indispensable. They're completely indispensable. I, I looked up uh, for some reason, they named a dictionary after me, uh, but in Webster's Dictionary, the definition for, for indispensable was absolutely necessary, essential, not subject to being set aside or neglected. Absolutely necessary, essential. The parts that we think we don't need. And some believe that Paul was adapting this story from a fable from Menenius Agrippa, in which... Uh, Essentially, the members of the body were upset. They were upset at the stomach because all he did was eat food and enjoy his life. And so they got together and they're like, hey, this stomach guy, we're done with him. We don't need him. So we're going to stop helping feed the stomach. And I think you can kind of figure out the rest of the story that they ended up all suffering because of that. They became malnutrist and and and. and they ended up, uh, only when it was too late, regretting their decision. 
Often that's how it is in the church as well. Only when it is too late, we regret the decision of saying, I don't need you. Which is why Paul says we should not say that. And he says not only are they indispensable, but but they should be given greater honor. Uh, And then he continues in, in verse 23. On those parts, the body that we think less honorable bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. And so that last little section, um, unpresentable parts, he's talking about those parts of the body that you don't show at the public pool. Those parts of the body that uh, you, you clothe first in the morning if you catch my drift. Uh, he's talking about specific parts. Uh, and, and so you're like, well, well, how does this relate to us as a body? I mean, who, who is that part of the body of Christ, right? Uh, and, and, and so maybe this illustration will help kind of uh, settle those uh, questions. So, so I, I really like to hike. I love hiking. I love to go in the mountains, and I like to see the trees and smell the pine and see waterfalls crashing down the mountainside. And, and as much as that has to do with my ears and, and, and my nose and my eyes and seeing and taking it all in, I couldn't do it without my feet. And where are my feet in this equation? They're completely covered. Completely covered in my shoes. In fact, I'm, I'm protecting my feet because I'm wearing a couple layers of socks and I'm wearing some shoes so that whenever I go over thorns or whenever I'm stepping on some rocks, my feet are protected. And, and this is exactly uh, what, what he's saying um, with uh, the church. He's saying, essentially, we, we, we need to carefully protect the behind-the-scenes work. We need to protect the behind-the-scenes work. And if, if you don't know, this doesn't just happen. I mean, people prepare throughout the week. The, the, the worship team, for example, they, they, have, uh, they have to come together and meet with Kevin and say, okay, what's the message about? What kind of songs would fit with that message? They have to practice. So, so they're all on time when they come here on Sunday mornings. They have to come up early and set it all up. The, the, the teachers in the back, they have to prepare during the week in order so that when they give the message or the, 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 the teaching that they have, that it'll go smooth and, and it'll be structured. I mean, church doesn't just happen. So what he's saying is, is we need to protect these times. We need to carefully do our setup. We need to carefully prepare for the ministry that we have. Moving on into the last half of 24 and going into 25, he says the same idea as verse 18, uh, which he says, but God has so composed the body giving greater honor to those that lacked. Uh, Verse 20, no, but yeah, that's it. So, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked. So again, it's God's doing. He's the one doing the composing. It's like a painting with each stroke having a purpose. What is that purpose? He states it in verse 25. The purpose of how God composed the body is that there, so that there may be no division in the body. 
And, and, and that's essentially it. The, everything that we've just covered in this point is all set up so there's no division in the body. Why can't we say we don't need someone so there's no division in the body? Why are we supposed to give greater honor to those who seem weaker so there's no division in the body? Why did God set it up this way so there's no division in the body? It all centers around that point because in, in Corinth, they weren't acting this way. And so this is Paul saying, this is how you're supposed to act. So that you have no division in the body. And then the, the rest of verse 25 uh, kind of says, well, well, how do we do that? And he sums it up again. He sums up how we do that by saying, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And that essentially sums up everything that he just said. Well, how do we not have division? By having the same care. By having the same care. And, and, and so what does he mean by having the same care? Well, he means the same care that you'd have for yourself. I mean, do you really care about the next person over as much as you care about yourself? It goes back to, it's not about me. When it's not about me, I can care for someone else the same that I care for myself. And this reminds me of a common theme in the Old Testament. Of how community was everything in the Old Testament. How they did everything together. They had festivals together. They ate together. And even as seen in Nehemiah's prayer, their sin was shared. And by that I mean when, when the nation sinned, when certain people in the nation sinned, the whole nation took it on. And so we see Nehemiah, when he's praying, he, he realizes that the Israelites have sinned. And he says, God, forgive us. Not just them, forgive us. Because he includes himself in the sin of the nation, because that's how strong their community is. And we might act like this with our family. You know, if, if your sister graduates college, you'll be excited for her. And if there's a death in the family, then, then you and your brothers and your sisters and your cousins will weep. But what about in the church body? I mean, what about when someone in the church succeeds? Are you excited with them? Or are you overjoyous with them? Or are you jealous? Do you have jealousy when you see them succeed? Or do you see them as boasting? And when someone is rejected in the community, are you going to have sorrow and weep with them and come alongside them? Or are you going to also reject them? How are we doing with same care? And see the statement, it's not about me. It's a call to unity. It's a call to unity with our goal. So how can we care for those around us? Maybe... Again, it's a simple conversation. A simple conversation to say, hey, how are you doing? How are you really doing? Is there something you need prayer for? What's exciting in your life? And, and what's not going so well in your life? Maybe it's taking someone out to lunch and, and just continuing that conversation on a deeper level and really getting into each other's lives. We need to act the same honor and care for the other members as we would ourselves. 
So Paul kind of concludes uh, his section here, uh, 27 through 30. So I'll just read that. 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. 29. Are all prophets? Are all apostles? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer he's going for is no. No, we don't all do that. And, and he's repeating this idea of diversity, that no one has all the gifts. Essentially saying, no one can do it all on their own. We can't do it all on our own. We need the other people around us. We need each other, and we need each other's diversity. So to review, we are to act in a unified way, by filling our diverse roles chosen by God, showing others the same care that we would have for ourselves. This is all done to complete the mission of the church. To know Christ and to make Christ known. And, and, and we do this through our vision. So, so we have the mission of to know Christ and to make Christ known, and our vision is, okay, well, how are we going to accomplish that? And I found this on the church website. Our vision of how we're going to accomplish our mission is that our, essentially it says, our mission will be fulfilled by the unity we have through our faith and relationship to Christ. So we're going to fulfill the mission by our unity in Christ. That's the goal of our church. That's what we have set out to do for the last three years. So so the question for for us to ask ourselves is, what's my role? Ask yourself, what is my role as we seek to know Christ and to make Christ known? And on top of that, how is my role creating unity? How in the role that I am playing here at Restoration Church, how am I creating unity? For, for, for a lot of you here, you already do serve. Uh, on average, we have 25 people a week serving, which is fantastic. 25 people a week giving up their morning to come set up, to, to, to play, uh, to, to teach, to serve coffee. I mean, that's really awesome, 25. So first of all, I'd like to say thank you. Because without you guys, we couldn't do it. Like I said, no one person can do it by ourselves. We need each other. So, with deep gratitude, we thank you for your service. That being said, where can we improve? There's always room to improve. And with the points that we just went through of how we are supposed to act, where think to yourself, where can I improve to create better unity so that we can further the gospel of Christ? Maybe you feel disconnected in serving. Maybe you feel like uh, your role is obsolete. Or maybe, maybe there's a conversation in the past that you felt was demeaning towards you. 
Maybe there's some restoration that has to happen between uh, some people here in, in order for our unity to grow. Maybe you could just meet some new people. Meet someone you haven't talked to. Um, I like the meet and greet time because we get to move around and talk to each other, but oftentimes we do stay in our little circles and, and, and just kind of greet the people we know. But maybe take some time to meet someone you haven't met yet in that time. So again, thank you for those who do serve. Uh, but for those who, who are newer in the church or are not yet involved, uh, what, what, what's your next step? Maybe your role isn't serving yet, but what's your next step? Maybe it's simply to know Christ. Maybe you haven't come that far to know Christ yet. Maybe that's your next step. Or we have uh, a membership class coming up in uh, September or October. Uh, maybe, maybe getting involved with that. Or maybe to start serving somewhere. If you have not yet started serving, there's always room. We always have room for more volunteers, and we would love you to serve and help us on our goal. So, so if you want to serve, if you think that's your next step, please talk to Kevin or I after the service, and we'd love to get you involved. The women's gymnastics team won gold. But they didn't just win gold. They went above and beyond. They won by eight points. Which, I mean, like eight points, is that very much? Well, I heard one of the announcers say, that's pretty much like 20 touchdowns in football. Like if the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl and they won by 20 touchdowns. Like, that's a lot. So, so they didn't just win. They went above and beyond. And, and, and this happened because they had one goal. They had one thing that they focused on. They were unified. They cheered together when a routine went well, and when someone fell, they shared the sorrow unselfishly. They were focused on the job the coach called them to do. They weren't worried about the other parts. They focused on what the coach had called them to do, and in their diversity, they led themselves to the podium. So let's do the same thing with our church body in order to reach our goal of knowing Christ and making Christ known. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time where we could hear your word. We thank you for how you speak through your word. And that we as flawed humans get to take a part in your mission of the church. As we say, to know Christ and to make Christ known. So Father, I pray that in each of our hearts today, you would be telling us. Telling us, what's our next step? What is our role? And how can we create unity further by doing this? So Father, I pray that you'd continue to tug on our hearts throughout the rest of this week. In Jesus' name.